There we go. All right, good morning. We're going to be looking at the 10 post-resurrection appearances of Christ today. We're going to look at them in chronological order. We're going to learn more about the character of Jesus and how he related and interacted to those he appeared to and what his appearances mean for us. We're going to spend the majority of our time in John chapter 20, 21, and Luke chapter 24. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word as it records your son. We thank you that you have blessed us with your word, your inerrant word, and we, we can trust it and know that it's true. Please show us more of Jesus's character and who you are today this morning, Lord. Father, we just want to see more of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to, we're going to begin our study this morning after the resurrection has taken place. We're going to start in John chapter 21. Christ has risen from the grave three days after being crucified. He took on God's wrath and died for the sins of the world. At this point, Christ has finished his most important work. The redemption of mankind through the shedding of his blood. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's go to John 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. There are a few different Marys in the Gospels. Here we see this as Mary Magdalene. Mark's Gospel tells us that she had seven demons cast out of her. Mary loved Jesus. And that's usually the response when Jesus cast demons out of people. If you're familiar with this story in John chapter 20, you'll recall that Simon Peter and John went to the empty tomb, saw the grave clothes, and returned home. Mary did not return home. She stayed. Let's forward to verse 11. Outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, one at the head and other at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary was weeping. Her face was covered in tears. She looked into the, to into the tomb and saw two angels sitting where Jesus had been laid. John makes no mention of Mary having any reaction to the angels. Hebrews 13.2 tells us, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained strangers. Perhaps Mary thought that uh, the two angels were just ordinary men. Mary may have been so focused on Jesus' missing body that she didn't take into account that these two men were angels. The angels ask why she's weeping. Mary responds much the same way as she did when she was talking to Peter and John. She told the two disciples 
They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now her, cha- her statement changes just slightly. She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I, I do not know where they have laid him. This is personal to Mary. Jesus was her Lord, and she didn't know where his body was. Mary made a distinction between our Lord and my Lord. Yes, it's true that Jesus is our Lord, but he must also be your Lord individually. Each one of us must have a personal relationship with the risen Savior. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Mary did not recognize her beloved Jesus. She did not recognize the man who had set her free. It has been proposed that Mary did not recognize Jesus because of the pre-dawn darkness or the tears in her eyes. Another explanation is that Jesus physically looked different due to the violent beating that he endured on the way to the cross. Isaiah 25 foretold of Jesus' appearance. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. We know that Jesus' glorified body still had the nail holes in the hands and his feet, as well as the mark where the spear pierced his side, and he will bear those marks of crucifixion for all eternity. Revelation 5.6 refers to this as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It is entirely possible that Jesus' appearance was so altered by all that he endured for us that Mary, Mary also may not have recognized Christ because she had no expectation of seeing Jesus. He who was dead was standing before her alive. Jesus asked Mary the same questions the angels did. Why are you weeping? And he followed with, whom are you seeking? Christ was asking these questions to remind her of his promise that he would be resurrected. He was breaking through her unbelief. Mary, looking at Jesus, thought he was the gardener. How heartbreaking it is, how heartbreaking is it when the Savior of the world is so near to man, yet he's not recognized. Sadly, it happens all over the world today. Mary's response to Jesus reveals her love for him. Mary volunteering to take Jesus' body is a sign of her devotion to him. She probably didn't think her plan through. Merrill Tenney wrote, her words reveal devotion. She never paused to consider how she would carry the corpse of a full-grown man or how she would explain her possession of it. Mary's devotion is and should be an inspiration to all of us. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
Jesus only had only had to utter one word, her name, Mary. She went from re- weeping to rejoicing. Jesus can do that for each one of us too. He can take you from sorrow to rejoicing in his presence. Jesus then tells Mary not to cling to him, which most likely means do not detain me. Jesus said this because he had work to do. As we will see, Jesus was quite busy on Resurrection Day. It's important for us to see that Jesus had a real physical body after the resurrection. He was not a ghost or an apparition. Apparition. Jesus will drive this point home further in later appearances. Jesus told Mary to go to his brethren. This was the first time Jesus ever called the disciples his brethren. Through Jesus, we get to be sons and daughters of God. We get to be his bride as his church. We are Jesus's friends and his brothers. It is unfathomable the relationship that we get to have with the creator, the sustainer, and the savior of the world. Praise God for his wonderful works. Jesus gave instructions to Mary on what to tell the brethren. I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. God the Father is the Father from the Son, of the Son, from all eternity. Christ, as the eternal Son, is eternally from the Father or begotten from the Father. This is known as the doctrine of eternal generation. Jesus made a distinction here when he said, My God and my Father, and contrasted it with your God and your Father. Jesus and the Father have a different relationship than we do. We were made sons of God through adoptions when we were saved. The eternal son is equal with the eternal father. As adopted sons and daughters, we will never be equal with God. Christ's appearance to Mary Magdalene demonstrates that God initiated contact with Mary. She did not stumble upon him. God still works in this very same way. God always initiates contact. Man never finds God through his own determination. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mary Magdalene became the very first evangelist of the resurrected Lord. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. The next appearance of Jesus can be a bit confusing because of its similarities to the Mary Magdalene appearance. Sometimes it is referred to as the other Mary appearance. Matthew says it began to dawn, which indicates that this was a separate event and took place a little later that morning. Verses 2 through 7 described the women's encounter with an angel of the Lord at the tomb. We're going to skip ahead and go to verse number 8. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The women left the tomb with great fear because of the angel encounter. Usually throughout scripture, an angel encounter involves fear. The angel of the Lord told the shepherds at the birth of Christ, do not be afraid. The women also had great joy because the angel had told them that the Lord had risen. The women obeyed the angel and went to tell the disciples what they had witnessed. On their way, Jesus met the women with the greeting, Rejoice! Jesus is risen. There is no greater joy, no other reason for us to rejoice. He who is dead is now alive. Notice that the women recognized Jesus. We can infer this because they fell down, held him by the feet, and worshipped him. Jesus did not refuse their worship, nor did he rebuke them. Jesus accepted their worship because he is God. He is a God of very God and rightly to be praised. Again, Jesus initiated this contact. Contact. In verse 10, we see another aspect of Christ's character. When Jesus gave women instructions to tell the brethren to go to Galilee, he was telling them to testify what they had seen and what he had said. The testimony of women was not valued in that culture. In fact, the Mishnah said, an oath of evidence applies to men, but not to women. Jesus turned that idea on its head. Jesus valued women. He, demonstrating this, he demonstrated this by appearing to Mary Magdalene first and the group of women second. Jesus cared for women in first century Israel, and ladies, cares about you today. Let's turn over to Luke 24, verse 34. The next appearance of Christ is a mere blip on Resurrection Day. Other than chronological order, we know nothing more than that that it happened. Verse 34, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. H.A. Ironside describes this encounter. He writes, Simon, the one who had denied him, taken an oath that he didn't even know Jesus, yet somewhere on that resurrection day, the Lord sought him out and revealed himself to him, and Simon knew that he was forgiven. Like Peter, there is nothing anyone could do or have done that Jesus is not willing to forgive. All you must do is ask, and he will be faithful to forgive. Now we come to what is commonly called the road to Emmaus. It's recorded in the same chapter in Luke, chapter 24, in verses 13 through 35. Let's go back to 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Remember, it's still Resurrection Sunday. Two of these disciples left Jerusalem and presumably they headed home. 
It's essential here for us to notice the difference between disciples and apostles. Jesus specifically picked his apostles, the twelve. Disciple refers to anyone who follows Jesus. We can be disciples of Christ today, but we cannot be apostles. These two disciples talked about the recent events in Jerusalem. Jesus drew near and went with them. On resurrection day, Jesus was quite busy, but he wasn't too busy for these two going to Emmaus. And again, we see that these guys didn't recognize Jesus either. The text gives us an indication of why. Their eyes were restrained. They were prevented from seeing Jesus for who he really was. It was supernatural. God prevented them from recognizing Jesus. The end of this passage may reveal why. Verse 17, and he said to them, What kind of conversation is this you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered him and said, and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you have not known the things that have happened there in these, these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. We, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our, of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus walked with Cleopas and his, command, his companion for a while. We don't know the exact amount of time, but it was, it was enough time for Jesus to listen to the conversation and hear their emotions. Just as with Mary Magdalene, Jesus asked questions already knowing the answers. He knew why Mary was sad. He knew what kind of conversation these two were having. When Jesus asked what things, he was giving them an opportunity to reveal what was in their heart about the previous few days' events. Cleopas demonstrated he knew the facts. He knew Jesus was mighty indeed. He knew the chief priest delivered Christ to be crucified. He accurately described the events earlier at the empty tomb. These two did not have an intellectual problem. They had a spiritual problem. They were spiritually blind. Many people have the same problem today. There are people who have heard about Jesus, the gospel of salvation, but they're spiritually blind to the risen Savior. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For what man knows the thing of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Man in and of himself cannot discern the things of God. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the things of God. He starts by showing us that we are sinners who need Jesus. He shows us him who is the only one who can save. Verse 25, Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? When Jesus said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, it sounds harsh. Jesus doesn't call people stupid, right? Some of us probably think that he does, or that we deserve to be called stupid, but that's not what Christ did here. O foolish ones could be translated as simple ones. In this context, it carries the meaning of children who do not understand. Think about a, pi- a Bible passage you've read for years. And then after reading it for the hundredth time, the light bulb clicks on. And we say, say to ourselves, how did I miss that before? Now, Jesus is going to enlighten these two, Cleopas and his friend. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Imagine the Bible study that Jesus gave. It it certainly must have been the best Bible study ever taught. Jesus walked them through the Old Testament. Cleopas and his friends experienced Jesus going from scripture to scripture, explaining how the whole book points to him. It would be able to, to, to read what Christ had said. But God, in his wisdom, chose not to include the transcript here in Luke's gospel. We also see that Jesus expounded the scriptures. We must be students of the Bible. We can't base our faith on motions and experience. The Holy Spirit will show you more of the character and nature of God the more that you soak in his word. Verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Jesus demonstrates another aspect of his character here. He did not impose himself on the two disciples. He told them he was going farther. Jesus will not impose himself on anyone. Jesus never stays where he's not invited or he's not wanted. We can be like the two disciples here. We can invite Christ to abide with us. And as Jesus told us, he will abide in us. Verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took the the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Jesus does something that's very normal for him. In the upper room with his disciples in Luke 22, It records he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Jesus was the host at the Last Supper. He became the host in Emmaus. As followers, the disciples' eyes were opened. They recognized Jesus. We're faced with the same question as we had with Mary. How did they recognize him? As we'll see, it has to do with the bread. These two recognize Jesus. And we know that it's always wonderful when someone recognizes Christ. In true post-resurrection fashion, Jesus then vanished from before their eyes. Verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, 
who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them after the breaking of the bread. Now we're presented with the two disciples' reaction to Jesus opening the scripture to them. It, it caused their hearts to burn within them. The prophet Jeremiah had the same experience. He said, the word was in my heart like a burning fire. Perhaps these two would not have had the same reaction had they recognized Jesus while on the road. The two quickly reversed course and head back to Jerusalem. Found the eleven and delivered a report about what had transpired with Jesus. In their report, they refer to a verse that we've already covered, Jesus' appearance to Simon. Let's turn over to John chapter 20. The next appearance of Christ happened shortly after these two found the eleven. It's recorded in Luke 24 and John 20. We're going to focus on John 20, 19 through 21. Verse 19, Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Picture these two disciples returning to Jerusalem with the wonderful news that Jesus was alive, and they find the fearful apostles hiding behind locked doors. I mean, they did have every reason to be afraid. Just three days earlier, they saw what the Jews did when they falsely accused Jesus and delivered him to Pontius Pilate. They saw the scourging of Jesus. They saw his crucifixion. The apostles must have feared the same fate as Christ. We know that people noticed who followed Jesus. We see this in Matthew chapter 26. The first two times Peter denied Christ, it was after two people recognized Peter as someone who had been with Jesus of Galilee and also Jesus of Nazareth. Their fear was quite rational. But Jesus has a way of changing things. Jesus appeared in the midst of them. He appeared in a locked room. Jesus never knocked at the door. He appeared as suddenly as he had vanished in Emmaus. Jesus' first words to the assembled group, peace be, to you, peace be with you, or peace to you, as Luke, as Luke records. Peace and fear are incompatible. Jesus brings peace through his death and resurrection. Christ defeated death. He did this through his atoning death. He demonstrated perfect love. In John's first epistle, the apostle of love said that perfect love casts out fear. The same is true today. Though this world is, is fallen, it's scary and broken, we do not have to fear. We can have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Luke's account explains when they saw Jesus, they were, they were terrified and afraid because they thought Jesus was a spirit or a ghost. 
Jesus showed them his, his hands, his feet, and his side. He was again demonstrating that he had a real physical body. Luke records Jesus saying, Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. Jesus wanted them to know that he was physically resurrected. John notes that they were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus again said, Peace to you. And then he commissioned them. He said, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The Father sent Christ into this world, and we have the privilege of being sent by our Savior into all the worlds to make disciples for him. Luke 24, 41 and 43 records just a little bit more than John. It says, by while, But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. In John, we see that the apostles were glad, but Luke said they still did not believe. This unbelief is not the kind of unbelief we see in people who deny Christ. This is the it's-too-good-to-be-true unbelief. They simply could not believe that the risen Savior was standing in front of them. They couldn't wrap their minds around what was happening. They simply marveled at the situation. Jesus ate in front of them to reinforce that he was flesh and bone. The real physical body is central to the resurrection of Christ. It's important because it gives us the future hope of having our own real physical glorified bodies when we are with Christ for all eternity. Let's go back to John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Poor Thomas missed out on the resurrection day appearances of Jesus. <laughs> the others told him about Jesus showed them the marks of crucifixion, but Thomas didn't believe the testimony of the other disciples. Thomas needed evidence that he could see and that he could hold. As believers today, when we read the Gospels, we believe their testimony, knowing that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. The group is gathered together again, and now Thomas is with them. Jesus entered the same way he did a week before. He appeared in the room without crossing the threshold. Jesus said the same greeting, Peace to you. Jesus turned in specifically addressed Thomas, and told him to touch his nail-pierced hands. He told him to put his, his hand in the, his side where the spear penetrated his body. Jesus knew what Thomas had said. 
He knew Thomas's need for physical evidence. Jesus provided that for Thomas out of mercy and kindness. Jesus responded to Thomas's unbelief with love. We are compelled to follow the example of our Savior and respond to this unbelieving world with love. Jesus then tells Thomas not to be unbelieving, but believing. This was not a suggestion. This was a command. Thomas's response, my Lord and my God, it's a personal one, just like Mary Magdalene's was. Jesus is Thomas's Lord and his God. It's the same for each one of us here today. Jesus must be our Savior and our Lord. He cannot be one without being the other. Again, it must be personal. No one can have a relationship with Jesus for you. Recall the women who fell at Jesus' feet in worship. Jesus did not rebuke them because he is God. Jesus did the same with Thomas when he called him God. There was no need to correct Thomas because what he said is true. Jesus, the Word, is, was, and will always be God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Nicene Creed describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is essential Christian doctrine. We cannot and must not waver from this. Jesus Christ was more than a wise teacher. He was more than a prophet. He is the incarnate God who saves. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas saw Jesus and believed. John Boys wrote, He acknowledged the, div the divinity he did not see by the wounds that he did see. None of us have ever seen Jesus in person. We believe because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you, have, if you believe and have placed your faith in Christ, your trust in him, and believe in him, you are blessed. Let's turn over to John chapter 21. Now we'll look at Jesus' third appearance to the disciples, beginning in verse 15. To set the scene for you, Peter's decided to go fishing, and a few of the disciples went with them. They fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus appears to them on the shore and tells them where to catch their nets, cast their nets. They followed Jesus' suggestion, which resulted in a full catch. Jesus then invites them to join him for breakfast. Picking up in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him more than these. This word these could have referred to the other disciples present. There's another possibly more plausible explanation. Peter was a confident and impetuous man. Jesus was reminding Peter of his bold proclamation before he had denied Christ. Matthew 26, 33 records Peter's words. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times. The Koine Greek has multiple different words for love. The word that Jesus used here for love is agapeo. We usually refer to it as agape. It means unconditional, sacrificial love, expecting nothing in return. Jesus was asking if Peter loved him like that. Peter responds, you know that I love you. Peter used a different Greek word. He used the word phileo. Phileo has the idea of fondness, friendship, or brotherly love. The two words have been dismissed as having no significance, but they're different for a reason. When asked if he had unconditional, sacrificial love, Peter was forced to examine himself. He knew he had failed his master. He knew that he had repeatedly denied his Lord. Peter was no longer able to boast in his own strength. He was forced to say he loved Jesus with brotherly love because that was true. Peter knew that he loved his friend Jesus. Jesus asked Peter a second time if he loved him. Peter repeated his first response. Jesus asked a third time. This grieved Peter. The significance of this third question cannot be understated. Peter denied Christ three times and now was able to declare his love for Christ three times. For a third time, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter knew that Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. Jesus used phileo for love in his third question. Jesus came down to Peter's level. Jesus met Peter where he was, and he will do the same for you. No one can ever be in a place where Jesus won't meet you. Let's look at Jesus' three responses to Peter's declaration of love. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Feeding lambs and sheep is teaching the word. And to tend is to pastor or shepherd the flock. There is no doubt that Jesus restored Peter on Resurrection Day. Here, Jesus restored Peter publicly for ministry, and the, the disciples that were on the shore were witnesses of it. Notice, Jesus never asked Peter if he was sorry. Jesus showed Peter grace. Christ does the same for us. When we fall short, he shows us grace. 
Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse number 3. For I delivered to you first all of that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. We've already looked at Christ's appearance in verses 3 through 5. But verse 6 says that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. This is most likely when Jesus appeared on the mountain in Galilee in Matthew chapter 28. The passage is also known as the Great Commission. Jesus told the disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. The chapter ends with, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ, who has all authority, is with us. He is with you and will not forsake you. But not just till the end of your life. He'll be with you for all eternity. This should be a great comfort to you. Jesus is never, ever far away. He is always near to those who invite him. In verse 7, James, Jesus appears to James, his brother. John 7, 5 says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. In Mark 3, the ESV says that Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. Jesus made it a point to see James. He went to the unbeliever. We don't know what's transpired between Jesus and James, but we know that after the visit from his older brother, James referred to himself as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James, like Thomas, saw Jesus and believed. Jesus appeared to people for a period of 40 days after the resurrection. The last appearance is recorded in Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, and also in Acts 1. Let's go back to Luke 24. Verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Jesus, in his final time being physically present with his disciples, blessed them. As Jesus was blessing them, he was received up in glory. Our great high priest passed through the heavens, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus returned to the glory he had before the world began, but something was different. Jesus Christ, the Theanthropos, the God-man, elevated humanity as only he could. 
to sit at the right hand of the Father. The post-resurrection appearances of Christ were personal and they were intimate. We see this with Mary Magdalene, Cleopas, Thomas, Peter. In every appearance, Jesus initiated contact. He wanted to see his friends and his brethren. He offered them a reason to rejoice. When his disciples were afraid, he offered them the peace that only he can provide. Jesus called Mary Magdalene by name. He wants to call you by name too. We can fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him like the group of women did. Christ will be the host of our lives if we invite him like Cleopas did. We ought to be like Thomas, believing, not unbelieving. We declare Christ to be our Lord and our God. Jesus can restore you just as he did Peter, whether that's private or publicly. Jesus met his disciples in a locked room. He met them where they were. Jesus can and will meet you where you are. If you don't know Christ today, ask him to prove himself to you, and he will visit you just like he did James. The risen Savior offers you peace and salvation today, and that is a reason to rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to gather and study your son and, and know more about him, Lord. Lord, just, just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder, there's going to be prayer up front on both sides. Next Sunday is the final day for the turn-in of Operation Christmas Child. If you have any questions, see Laura Hammers. Nathan, would you like to come up and lead us in the doxology? Be ready in season and out, yeah? <laughs> Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.